All right, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans in chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're continuing our series on Blessed Are the Peacemakers. And uh, this is a little different in that uh, usually we like expository preaching. We've been going through the book of Acts verse by verse, but uh, we are looking at the topic of how to be a peacemaker. I think a very needed topic in today's world. Uh, We live in a world that's filled with uh, anger and people fighting, uh, even amongst believers. And I think a lot of people don't know how to approach conflict in a healthy way. They either avoid it or uh, they approach it with uh, anger and they actually do more damage than good. The old, as we used to say, uh, clam up or blow up, <laughs> both of which are not the right way to handle conflict. Who we know from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, and the Beatitudes. And we've already laid the, the groundwork theologically for why we're to be peacemakers. I'll review some of those concepts, but the Bible says in Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And there in Romans, chapter 12, and uh, looking at verses 18 through 21. Uh, there, of course, Romans, the first 11 chapters, lay theology down, uh, a good understanding of God's work of justification and sanctification, how he saves us and makes us more like Jesus in the process. Uh, verse, or chapters 9 through 11 deal with Israel, God's plan for Israel in the future. And then he starts to apply the gospel in Romans chapter 12. And we don't have time to spend going through every verse of that, but as it As it touches the subject of peacemaking, we see in verse 18, if it is possible as much as depends on you, okay, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Do not avenge yourselves, it says, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. So don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is how we need to see peacemaking. Uh, The conflict that is brought by sin, we are able to be ambassadors of peace on behalf of God, breathing life into all those we uh, have in our life by, by bringing peace into the situation, by bringing that shalom that God fashioned the earth in, in peace, was lost through sin, but then he is remaking through the gospel. And uh, he does that in part through us now, bringing peace through preaching the gospel and bringing reconciliation into the world. And so, blessed are the peacemakers. Let's do a little bit of review, if we can. Uh, of the concepts we've already touched on. So God created the world in harmony, peace, but sin shattered that peace, right? Uh, Remember, bookends. God creates it in peace, and he restores it to peace. In between, sin has done quite a number on the human race, amen? Uh, Actually, of all creation. God is a peacemaker who restores relationships through Christ. That's important, that he is beginning his work of restoration of all things through his work and those who are followers of Jesus Christ. He's beginning that new creation in us. And then God calls us to be ambassadors for peace on his behalf to the world in which he's placed us, okay? And so 
conflict, then we saw, is a result of both inward and outward causes. Okay, I don't have time. If I encourage you, if you want to look back at those, if you didn't hear those messages, go back and look at uh, two weeks ago and the week before that, even three weeks ago. We looked at some of the outward causes. Uh, I'll come back to that other statement in just a moment, okay? Uh, actually, let me go ahead and put that in there now. Because remember what we're talking about when we talk about conflict. Because people see conflict in different ways, okay? But what we talk about, what we're talking about in, in when we say conflict is conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. And that's why it creates tension because there's things that we want, there's things that we believe, and so that is causing us to move toward one purpose, and then someone comes along and they intersect that purpose, and now we have conflict. So how do we navigate this? And this can be in a whole range of situations, okay? So the outward causes or misunderstandings caused by poor communication. I believe a lot of misunderstandings are the reason for conflict. People just have good, healthy conversations. A lot of things get solved, amen? Uh, differences in goals, values, gifts, callings, priorities. And so here, uh, you have certain expectations, you have certain desires, goals. You think, hey, these are the things that are most important. And someone comes along and says, well, I think we should have different values, goals, priorities, those kind of things. God made us differently on purpose, but that does create some tension. We'll learn to navigate through it. Competition over limited resources. You only have so much time and money, and sometimes people have conflict because they're vying to get their share of those things, right? And then hurt, both intentional and unintentional. And then, of course, sinful attitudes, words, and actions, just plain people doing the wrong thing biblically. So that's what we looked at as far as inward causes, or excuse me, outward influences or outward causes. But really, it comes down to then how do we react to those things internally? Okay, when we come against that tension, that conflict, what happens? Well, uh, there's the problem with unmet desires or expectations. There are certain things we want, priorities. Uh, I want to be loved. I want to be secure. I want to be whatever you may put in there, satisfaction, security, and significance. Remember, we keep on repeating those. That's what every human being is searching for. I want to be secure. I want to know everything's going to be okay. I want to have satisfaction. I want to have joy. I want to have pleasure. I want to have, I want to have uh, uh, enjoyment in my life. I want to be able to rejoice in some things. And then uh, significance. I want to know that I matter to someone. Uh, here's the thing is, you know, all those things are found in Jesus Christ. Everything that our heart longs for is found in him, and what happens is we come into conflict because we try to find them in other things. And often even conflict where we're, we're disappointed in people is because we're expecting something from them that only Jesus can give us, and then we're deeply disappointed. I want you to make me feel loved. A person can love you the very best that they can, and still you feel like they should love you more. And here's the thing is, if you go to Jesus Christ for that love, then you are free to accept the love that people give you, rejoice in it, and enjoy it for what it is, but not depend on it to feel loved. If, if, if you're anchoring your soul to someone loving you, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, I think that's probably pro part of the cause for so many divorces in the U.S. Uh, and across the world is because people are looking for someone to give them something that is only found in God, and they're deeply disappointed. So unmet desires or expectations, because of that, it begins... Uh, to create that tension. And sometimes these things become idols in our lives. Uh, there are even things that are legitimate and good, but taken beyond. Wanting to be loved is not wrong. 
God made us to experience His love. But when we go beyond the bounds of our expectations within, the Bible says this is what love should look like. And we say, no, I want something more, something else. We make it an idol or we try to find meaning in it. Instead of finding meaning in Jesus Christ, it becomes an idol. And now what happens? That idol controls us. And now our search for getting that need met begins to, to control our actions. And we actually do more damage because then we begin to demand things of people. And then if they don't give it, we judge them and we punish them because they don't give us what we want. And then there's just unbiblical thinking. <laughs> people expect things that God says, there's nowhere in my, in my word do I say that, that people owe you this thing, but you begin to think they owe it to you. And so that unbiblical thinking begins to cause the conflict to well up in our heart. We begin to get disappointed, to discourage with people, and then we begin to, to actually judge them and condemn them because we feel like they're not meeting our needs. And so uh, God created the world in peace and harmony. God is a peacemaker. He's called us to be ambassadors of peace. There's inward and outward causes of conflict. And then lastly, we learned that you know, the gospel helps us recognize those wrong desires and that wrong thinking to repent of it and run to Jesus and to change our thinking and to change our desires to be like Christ. And so that's kind of we're going to continue to, to sink our teeth into these concepts. And we're gonna, you're going to hear some things that I've already talked about. What I'm kind of doing is, is kind of giving you the helicopter view, and then we're kind of getting closer to the ground and looking more in depth at each of these principles. Um, and so, but this morning where I want to focus is this. Peacemakers respond well to conflict so that God's purposes are accomplished. Now, again, I want to be sure that I'm not, say, um, that there's not a misunderstanding here. I'm not saying that God's purposes are absolutely dependent on your obedience because God will accomplish his purposes regardless because he's sovereign. But God does have purposes in conflict for you, for me, and for the other people involved. God does have some things he's trying to accomplish, and when we submit to that, and when we respond well to that, then we're able to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. We're able to, to come out of the conflict actually having better relationships with God and better relationships with people, and that's what we're trying to do. That's what being a peacemaker is all about. It's about bringing the reconciliation that Christ brings us and to pass that along to others so that we're bringing people together um, instead of being part of the problem of pushing them apart. So peacemakers respond well to conflict. I want to look at that first of all. Do you realize that there's just three ways that people respond to conflict? Two bad ways and one right way. Um, God in his infinite wisdom allows conflict to exist. It is part of our world. I mean, honestly, if you've never experienced any conflict in your life, I want you to come and talk to me afterwards because I want to know your secret. <laughs> Because we live in a broken, sinful world, conflict, we're sinners. And we struggle with these unmet desires that we allow to control us sometimes, and that brings us into conflict. But God uses that conflict in a positive way. Uh, God uses that conflict in order to grow his people and to help reveal his glory to the world in which we live. Because God governs and sustains all things, he will use conflict for his glory and our good. Think of the story of Joseph. Everything that happened to Joseph, right, in the Old Testament, being accused of, of, uh, 
of a terrible crime, being imprisoned, being forgotten, being sold by his brothers into slavery, all these terrible things. At the end of it all, we see the story where he says, listen, he is able then to be placed by God into a position where he's able to store up grain to help through a seven-year famine, famine, saving thousands of lives in Egypt and saving his own brothers who sold him into slavery and put him in this horrible place. And at the end of it all, what does he say? He says, listen, you meant it for evil. God isn't letting you off the hook, guys. <laughs> you did evil. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God took that conflict and he turned something good out of it. Now, that's how I want you to see conflict. That yes, although people may act sinfully in the conflict, God ultimately uses even their poor choices and their sinful actions and attitudes to bring about his glory in your life, and listen, and even in their life, okay? And so God gives us an opportunity in conflict, and we can respond one of three ways. The first thing we can do is run. That's escape. Some people are like, I'm going to avoid conflict at all cost. If things begin to get tense at my job, I'll quit my job. If a friendship begins to get tense and they begin to talk to me about some things I don't like or I feel like I'm in an awkward position with this person, I'll just forsake the relationship. I'll just ghost them. Boom. Done. Gone. Unfriended. No more texting. I'm out of here. People just run from it. Uh, some people just deny it. Instead of dealing with the conflict that exists, they're like, no, 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 it's okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Instead of actually saying, hey, this is an opportunity to communicate in a healthy way that trains my heart, train, and then actually helps forge deeper bonds. And even to the point, uh, separation would be, again, cutting people off, even to the point of suicide. Now, I'm going to be very careful here. Uh, having people that I know, friends that have committed suicide, I'm not boiling down this very complex issue down to one thing. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying there are people who sometimes who want so much to escape conflict in their life, do go to that extreme measure, which breaks my heart. I know it breaks your heart. Because there is a better way. They can engage that, but they, they so, uh, are so torn up by conflict in their life, they say, I only see one escape, and that's this ultimate, um, this ultimate step of suicide. It's a, it's a terrible, sad, heartbreaking thing that uh, does sometimes happen. Um, but the second way people will sometimes react is through rage. That's verbal, physical, or legal attacks. Uh, you've heard the, the saying, fight or flight. This is kind of, or uh, blow up, clam up. Uh, all of these are kind of reflecting these two extremes of people who say, I'm going to avoid at all cost, not a healthy way to deal with it, okay? Uh, or they just get angry and they try, hey, I'm going to take you to court. Uh, I'm going to yell and scream and carry on fit. Uh, some people just prefer being passive-aggressive, <laughs> saying little snide things and, and doing little things to kind of undermine the other person because they don't want to deal with it directly. But either one of these ways are wrong. <laughs> They're only going to lead to more damage. You, you don't avoid trouble or problems by just ignoring the problem, <laughs> running from the problem, or just trying to take a stick and whack at the problem. <laughs> Uh, what we're going to do is this third option. This is what God's called us to, and that's this. It's to reconcile. And there's a number of ways we can do that, which I'll get in in a later message, but we can overlook the offense. That's called letting left, 
uh, love covers a multitude of sins, right? Letting love cover it. Uh, reconciliation, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, and accountability. Uh, these are different ways. Now, some of these deal with more material. Remember, there's two types. There's material, and then there's a relational type of conflict. Uh, material has to do with, hey, where's my neighbor's property line? They're going to build a fence on my line. I'm not very happy. Or, hey, you did not give me my bonus. That's in my contract. That kind of thing. It's more of a material issue. Whereas we're dealing mostly with personal issues, relational issues. Uh, sin makes conflict inevitable, but God makes it meaningful. You see what I'm saying? Uh, sin makes it inevitable, but God makes it meaningful. Instead of avoiding it or responding wrongly to it, we're going to see it as an opportunity to draw near to Christ and draw near to other people and learn healthy communication habits. Now, if we... Um, why do sometimes, let me say it this way, uh, we cannot control if conflict will happen because we know that it will. Saying, if I avoid it, I just never have to deal with it, that will not work because it will come. We must learn to respond biblically, and we need to learn beforehand how we're going to respond to it. Now, you know one of the reasons, I need to stay here, okay. Uh, one of the reasons why soldiers go through boot camp is because they're training themselves for when battle comes, right? They're going through and learning exactly what needs to happen. That's why there's training uh, for EMTs and firefighters, because we don't want them to try to figure out firefighting on their very first fire, right? We want them to know, so they go through all the training over and over, and so what, what we need to do is before we reach conflict, we need to constantly remind ourselves of those things, uh, Bible truths that are the right response to conflict so that when the conflict comes, we handle it well. Now, I want to say this. I'm not talking about the subject of physical abuse, okay? Or, and I'd even throw... Uh, a, types of verbal abuse, and of course, even that of uh, uh, sexual nature. I'm not talking about abuse, okay? When we talk about reconciliation, we're not talking about returning to abusers, okay? That's a whole nother subject. I will address that on how to deal with that kind of thing. But I want to be sure that what you're not hearing me say is, I have someone who's physically abusing me. It seems like you're telling me I need to go reconcile with them. Not on your own. And that's not what I'm telling you to do, okay? We can talk about how to deal with abusive situations, but I'm talking about just normal, everyday conflict that doesn't involve abuse, okay? So I want to make that clear. So these are the ways we can respond. Peacemakers choose to respond through reconciliation. But the second principle is peacemakers want God's purposes to be accomplished. Now, we see this in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Now, uh, what's the significance of this passage? Micah was a prophet who was reminding those in Judah, the southern kingdom, what God really wanted from them. The northern kingdom had already drifted from God and were on the very verge of a Syrian uh, invasion. God was forcing them out of the land because of their disobedience. 
But the prophet Micah was trying to call the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Israel was divided into northern and southern kingdoms uh, called Israel. I know that's really confusing. All of it's Israel and the north Israel. Yes, I know it's a little confusing. And then you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah, okay, like where Jerusalem would be located. And so Micah was trying to preach God's message. God had given him this prophetic message to preach to Judah to return to the Lord before they suffered the same fate as the northern kingdom. And they were at a time of economic and political prosperity, but spiritually, they were drifting. They were not doing well at all. And it would only get worse and worse until judgment finally came to their doorstep. And so uh, Micah sets up this courtroom scene where the judge is Jehovah God and the plaintiff is also Jehovah God. Jehovah God is listing the the sins that they had committed against him. But he was also the judge, so he was going to mete out the justice in this situation. And so, uh, as the witnesses are called, Judah's guilt is proven beyond a reasonable doubt. But then God lovingly pleads with them to return to genuine heart obedience. And he says, listen, I don't want thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil. Uh, They were going through the motions by doing outward religious acts, by doing the sacrifices that were demanded in the Old Testament law. And they were offering thousands and thousands of gallons of oil and thousands of sacrificial rams. And God is saying, guys, you don't get it. That's not what I want. I want your heart. And then he tells them in a very succinct statement exactly what he means by wanting their heart. And he says this, he has shown you, O man, what is good. What does God consider good? It's not just outward religion with inward hypocrisy. He says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? I think this passage does provide some guidance for us on how peacemakers can breathe life and peace into people's lives around them, how to handle conflict well. Let me just give you a few principles concerning this. Peacemakers want God's purposes accomplished, remember? They respond well to it, and they want God's purposes in it. We see that conflict is an opportunity to see what is really in your heart. You see what conflict shows is what you really believe about God. Do we really believe God's ways are best? People say, hey, I want to obey God, but you don't know this person. You don't know my situation, God. I want you to be a peacemaker. Yeah, if you had to deal with that person, you would have written them off too, God. And we we make exceptions for ourselves because somehow we think God doesn't know what's really going on. You see, God... This is what happened. (laughs) No, he knows all those things. And he's called us to be a peacemaker. And what conflict does is it really shows you what you believe. It's like the old illustration of the the tea and the tea or the hot water in the tea bag. You put the tea bag into the hot water. And once you drink that water, you drink that tea. If you don't like the flavor, whose fault is it? (laughs) Well, if you don't like the flavor of the tea, it's because you don't like the contents of what's in the tea bag. So what you do is you get a different flavor of tea. Our lives are a lot like that. You see, when we get into conflict, what's really there comes out. 
What we really believe about God, what we, uh, when God says, love me and love others, we say, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the contents of our heart really start coming out when we get into conflict. The hot water doesn't change the flavor. It just reveals what is already there. And that's what conflict does for us. Conflict proves if we want our way or God's way. Because the truth is, is when, when someone's hurting us, we don't want to serve them, do we? I don't know about you, but when someone attacks me or when someone hurts me in some way, uh, I don't feel naturally drawn to them, naturally drawn to want to reconcile what happens? We feel like, hey, you hurt me. I'm just going to get far away from you. I don't, you're, I'm not going to let you hurt me anymore. Or worse, we start saying, you know what? Two can play that game. You're going to hurt me? Well, I'm going to hurt you. And that's what, that's what we fall into. And the thing is, is that's not God's way. God has something so much better, something that Christ in his life demonstrated to us, the desire to reconcile. Conflict really shows us what we trust. Are we going to trust in our ability to control and manipulate the situation so that we get out of that conflict what we think we deserve? Or are we going to trust God's way and seek peacemaking, even if it means to our, uh, to our own loss in some sense, because we want to serve and save the relationship? You see, trusting God is not automatic. Sometimes people think that trusting is simply not worrying. If I'm not worrying, then I'm trusting. That's not true. Because uh, sometimes people don't worry about things simply because they're in denial. <laughs> because they're not realist about the gravity of the situation. They say, I just don't want to think about it. Trusting God is just simply not worrying. It is actively putting faith in God and his ways so that I obey him because I believe ultimately his way is greater and better than mine. And trust even isn't the absence of fear and doubt. It's choosing to bring those fears and doubts to God and believing he will help you. And honestly, conflict kind of shows us how our faith is doing. When we get into conflict... We ask ourselves, hey, do I really love God and really love others? Well, Jeremy, what are you willing to do? Are you going to humble yourself, go admit your own wrong, and draw near to that person? Or are you going to say, nope, my pride is not going to let me do that? Listen, you say, but I'm, I'm, I'm really fearful that if I put myself out there, if I go to them and try to humble myself and try to save the relationship, I'm just making myself vulnerable and they're going to rip my heart out of my chest, throw it on the ground and stomp on it. And I'm not going to let that happen. Listen, trusting God is not having no fear that that might happen. It's saying, God, I'm afraid my heart's going to get ripped out of my chest and stomped on, but Lord, you said you want me to reconcile. So by faith, I'm just going to do it and believe that even if I get my heart stomped on, God, your grace and rest will be more. You will heal my heart. But I have to trust that doing the right thing, even if I don't get the outcome that I want, if I do the right thing, that's the outcome you want. 
You see, it's not just about getting the result you want. It's about doing the right thing so God is glorified. But it gives us an opportunity also to be like Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles just real quickly and turn to the book of Hebrews. And we see that Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews 12 to be precise, And uh, there in verse 3, of course, that famous passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I think the witnesses are referring to chapter 11, these people who demonstrated faith and says, hey, all those people we just talked about that had faith in chapter 11, they've gone on before us to show us that faith is God's means of accomplishing his will. Faith is what God wants in our hearts. He says, lay aside every weight and every sin that ensnares us. The weight is the weight of the law. They, you see, the Hebrews had a problem. They're like, yeah, I sort of believe in Jesus, but I sort of believe I have to do good works, you know, keep the law in order to be saved. And he's like, you got to choose, buddy. <laughs> you can't say, uh, I kind of believe in grace, but I kind of believe in works. He's saying, no, either you trust Christ alone for salvation or you trust works. There's no middle ground here. <laughs> He's saying, lay aside the weight. That's the weight of the law. And the sin, here the sin is probably unbelief. They simply weren't taking God at his word and trusting that salvation comes through Christ alone. They say, we got to help God out by doing some good works. He says, let us run the race with endurance that is set before us and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our salvation is all wrapped up in Jesus from start to finish. Would you agree with that? From beginning to end, it's all about what Jesus is doing in us, not what we're doing to earn God's favor. Because he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you say the cross was a place of conflict? Yeah. Conflict between the devil's purposes and God's. A conflict between the Jewish people and their assumed Messiah. (laughs) Uh, A conflict even between the Jewish people and, and, and Jesus and his teaching. It was, uh, it was full of conflict. But listen to what it says here. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. Jesus absorbed this hostility from sinners all throughout his ministry, really through his life. Remember, they tried to kill him when he was a baby, <laughs> right? He had to escape for his life to Egypt. Not him. He was two years old, but his family. We know what we're saying, right? And it says he endured this hostilities against himself. Think about him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. They were suffering persecution from people who uh, believed that you needed the law to be saved. And they hated the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of Jesus, the preaching of grace. He says, but you've not yet resisted to bloodshed. I'll be honest. My mind is really, it's hard to comprehend that. He's saying, you've had it really bad, but just keep in mind, they haven't shed your blood yet. Uh, I, I hear someone mocking Christianity, and I'm like, oh, that's horrible. They're like, oh, yeah, you guys are getting it terribly bad, but you guys haven't died yet, so just keep going. <laughs> what? I mean, they had suffered so much. It says, you've not resisted bloodshed against striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, but neither be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, 
of which you've all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. He goes, if, listen, if God doesn't discipline you to make you more holy, then you don't belong to him. Because, listen, I don't go out and spank other people's kids, right? <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> but, he, but God so loves his children that he does discipline them for their good, for their spiritual growth, okay? Then he talks about our human fathers. We have human fathers. They corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of the spirits and live? In other words, don't get angry at God because he's, he's allowing you to experience difficulty. This is making you more like Jesus, and that's God's goal for you because he loves you. Just like we try to put character in our children, you know, we give them jobs to help them work hard. We show them how to, how to manage their money, and we show them all kinds of things, how to treat other people, uh, how to respond to difficult situations. Why do we want them to have character? Because it's for their good, and God does that for us, for his glory and our good. He says, uh, we were indeed chastened for a few days, that seems best, by our fathers, but he does it for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now listen, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Yeah, it is painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, the peace-bringing fruit of righteousness. In other words, remember we talked about how God, through his reconciliation, brings peace with God, yourself, and others. What's the yourself part? Through righteousness. Sin brings us into conflict in our souls. It, it, it weighs down our conscience because we're in rebellion against God. But through Jesus... Work, transforming work in us, we begin to be at peace with ourselves because now we're reflecting righteousness. We're in agreement with God and we're following him submissively and obediently so we're not at war with ourselves anymore. We're not at war with God. We feel that. So righteousness, this discipline brings righteousness. Righteousness brings peace, right? Those who've been trained by it. Now look at verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, see what it, Jesus Christ came and endured conflict so that he could bring peace through us, and he then actually infuses us with righteousness, which brings about peace, and then he says, now you go and you be ambassadors of peace for other people. Listen, conflict is helping you spread peace in your world. Now, that thing is, we don't naturally think of conflict that way. We think of conflict as something to be avoided at all cost or something that's like, well, if they're going to be conflict, I tell you what, you know, it's kind of like the Chicago way. They bring a knife, I'm bringing a gun, <laughs> right? Uh, whatever they bring, I'm going to bring something bigger. I'm going to, I'm going to dominate this conflict. I'm going to show them who's boss and never to mess with me again. That is not how God wants us to handle that. Instead, he's showing us that, hey, this is an opportunity for God to make you more like Jesus, which will make you at peace with yourself and then the ability to pursue peace with all people. It's really an amazing thing. But it's also an opportunity to serve others. So he says, I want you to act justly. What does God say is good? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. He shows us that he, conflict is an opportunity to actually serve people. You know, that whole love God and love your neighbor, <laughs> he's saying, this is how you can do it. We can say, no, no, no. Um, I tell you what, let's not do the conflict thing, God. How about this? When I find out my neighbor's having surgery, I'll bring him a meal. I, I like serving that way. He says, no, what I want you to serve up is mercy to people who don't deserve it. You know, kind of like I did for you. 
I don't want to reconcile. Right. Aren't you glad God reconciled you? It's an opportunity to show real mercy as he showed us. It's an opportunity to glorify God, to walk humbly with God. We get to know him more, and we get to reveal him to the world around us. People can see what real reconciliation looks like when we're willing to reconcile with people around us, even when it's really, really hard. So here's, as we close, just four questions I think we can ask ourselves to see how, how do we apply these truths? The first one is, when we get into conflict, ask yourself this question, how can I glorify God in this matter? Now, remember what we said, this is training so that when you get to the conflict, you're ready. I'd encourage you to write these questions down, okay? Um, we'll try to also put them as part of our, um, on our uh, YouTube channel where we have the notes and everything. We'll try to put that in there too. But ask yourself, how can I glorify God in what's happening in my life right now? Through this conflict specifically, how can I glorify God? Number two, how can I show Jesus' transforming work by taking personal responsibility? Now listen, I want to put a, uh, add a phrase to that. By taking personal responsibility for my part. Okay, I'm not saying you have to accept all the responsibility because the other person, and we'll see that in the next point, uh, let me go ahead and just give it to you show you the balance. You can also ask, how can I lovingly serve others by helping them take the responsibility for their part? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're saying I get to tell them that they're wrong and why they're wrong? Now I'm on board. Man, I like that. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is saying this. Hey, I'm going to admit my part. I'm going to, listen, I'm going to actually reach out first. And this is the hardest part. I'm going to admit my wrong first, which then gives an opening or should it gives encouragement for them then to reach out and admit their wrong. But let me say this. Helping people to take responsibility for their part is part of healthy peacemaking. We're not saying, well, I'll just tell where I'm wrong, and if they say, well, that's good, you were wrong, so be different. <laughs> Don't be sorry, be different. <laughs> no, we're going to say, hey, listen, if for there to be real peace, it means that I have done wrong and I've admitted that, but now we're going to have to look at where you've done wrong. Uh, listen, you can forgive unilaterally. Meaning I can choose to forgive someone no matter what they do. If they, if they never come to me and say they're sorry, I can forgive them. But reconciliation is transactional. It's bilateral. The fact is, is I can't make someone reconcile with me, but I can do all that I can possibly do in the power of the Spirit and the Word to reach out and try to reconcile. Uh, some relationships will never be fully repaired because not because of you, but because the other person refuses to do the right thing. Um, and that applies also to abusive situations. People have lost trust. That may never be repaired. Their trust, the same level of trust, may never be returned to that person. But you can still forgive them, which releases you from a heart of bitterness. And then it just hands them over to God so God can work in their heart and bring about it. Listen, we can't make people do the right thing. We can't make people reconcile. I can do all the right things. You can do all the right things and still have a negative outcome. But here's the thing is, God holds you responsible for your part. And then we give God the responsibility for that other person.
Now, we are going to talk to them. We're going to confront them, but we can't make them do the right thing. Only God can do that. And let me say this. I have seen time and time again in my own life where I was wrong and didn't want to admit it. God changed my heart on that until I was willing to admit my fault. I resisted it in pride, and God says, okay, let me take you down a road that'll humble you, and let's see how you're doing. He humbles me, and I'm like, no, God, I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay, let's do a little more. No, God, I'm not doing it. Let's do some more. Okay, God, I give up. <laughs> Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. He's able to change the heart through discipline, and he does. How can I serve others. And then lastly, how can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution? So what we're trying to do is not get our way, right? We're trying to find God's solution, a biblically balanced right answer to this problem. Now, if you get in your mind that the only thing that's going to satisfy me is this, I want all this in this, this conflict, this is what I have to get out of it, or it's no deal. You're going to have problems, what you need to do is go to the Word of God and say, according to God's Word, what does God say both I and the other person should be willing to do? And then put your expectations on those biblical things. And then come with a real desire to the situation, to the table, willing to admit your fault, willing to lovingly but directly confront the other person's part, and then look to demonstrate forgiveness, and then to be reconciled. And so we're going to end there in our study, and um, next week we're going to look at specific principles that you go through to have reconciliation, okay? We've kind of built up and showed the importance of reconciliation, uh, the wrong responses, and why reconciliation is so important. Uh, we've looked at what God is trying to accomplish through conflict in your life. Now, I hope as we launch into how to biblically reconcile you're really excited about saying God has given an opportunity for us to glorify him and to grow us. And so I really want to learn how to do it well because God's going to do a lot of good things through conflict. I, I hope at the end of this study, your mind has been changed about conflict. You actually, I want to say this carefully, get excited about conflict. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're not, you're not saying, I'm going to see if I can bring some conflict because I think it's going to be good. No, but when it does come through uh, not your instigating conflict, but when conflict does happen, and it will, you won't be terrified. You'll rather say, how can God be glorified? and How can I become more like Jesus? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your work of grace. Lord, uh, you are the great peacemaker, uh, the one who've, who's offered us shalom in Christ Jesus. Uh, who sent your very son to be a peace treaty. His shed blood ratified a new covenant, a new agreement with you, whereby you've received us as your own. You've given us, taken out a heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. You've made us spiritually alive. God, the, the, great, the great lengths you went to in order to bring about reconciliation inspires us that Jesus Christ endured conflict of sinners it wasn't his fault, but he endured it. Why? So that ultimately he could bring us peace through righteousness, and then we then can pursue peace with all people. Lord, we, we know that we show our appreciation for that reconciliation in part by offering reconciliation to those 
even people that don't deserve it. But God, I pray that you would help us to navigate it uh, biblically in the power of the Spirit. And Lord, my prayer is this. If there is anyone that doesn't know you as Savior, who's never been reconciled to you, Father, through faith in Jesus alone, they've maybe tried to earn their way through good works, Maybe they've been, been like the person who just avoids the conflict. They said, I don't even want to think about judgment. I don't want to think about what happens after death. Maybe they've just avoided it. But God, you've called them to the table this morning, the, the, the table of, of peace, and said, I want to talk to you and show you why I'm offering you peace in Jesus. God, my heart's cry is that those who have no peace treaty through Jesus Christ, would see that they're rightly condemned for their sins. That we, in our rebellion and our, our willful disobedience to your law, deserve judgment. But God, you're offering something so much better. Peace. Without, within, with you. And so, God, I pray that anyone who doesn't know you as, know Christ as Savior would reach out today and that they would tell me about it. That they would go to someone else in our church and says, hey, God's changed me and made me new through Christ. He's given me eternal life because I trusted in him alone. I pray that you do that. We want to rejoice with you. We want to help you in your walk of faith. Would you, help, would you let us do that? Lord, we pray that... Um, that you would do all these things in our life so that you might be glorified and we might reflect Jesus in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being here at Faith Baptist Church. I hope you come back next week. Uh, matter of fact, I hope you come back on Wednesday at 6.30 and join our Bible study and prayer time. It's always a very sweet time, by the way, as we just call out to God, spend extended time in prayer, and then also get a chance to talk about uh, some, uh, some truths from God's word that will help us in our walk with Christ. And so uh, thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful, remember next week is our family meeting after this uh, service. So don't forget that we're dismissed.